Welcome back to Time Out with Akanka. My name is Akanka, and I'm glad to bring another episode of Time Out with Akanka. Last time we started a new series on prayer. It's been a while, and I'm sorry it took this long to continue the series. As simple as the topic of prayer may sound, it was for a lot of people very insightful. And so we are going to continue in the three part series, and this is the part two which I like to title, The Object of Prayer. And going forward, I like to say that the most important element in prayer is not what you pray or how you pray, but to whom you pray. Several times, I've seen people put a lot of emphasis on what they say in prayer. It is important what you say. Like I said in the last podcast, you must be logical. You must be sound in your expression. Some gave a lot of attention as to how long you pray. In fact, that seems to be the measure of their spirituality or, as it were, their closeness to God. It's good to pray long. It's good to spend time in prayers, in communicating with God. But beyond that, I would think that the most important element in prayer is knowing to whom you pray. Well, I term in this topic, the object of prayer. And who is the object to pray? Well, clearly speaking, the object of prayer is God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In prayer, it is important that we know to whom we pray. We understand and appreciate the existence, the nature, and the character of God. Jeremiah chapter 9, I like to read from verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about these, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Here, God was telling the Israelites, if you have to brag, to boast, the Kenyan version says to glory in, why not glory in your wisdom, to not glory in your strength or in your riches. But if any man needs to boast, let him boast that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. In other words, if you have to brag, brag about the person of God. If you have to say something, if you have to declare something, if you have to confess something, Confess that you understand God. Confess that he is the Lord. And confess his nature, not just his person, but what his nature and character is, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. God is glad when people understand him. The place of the study of theology in one's understanding of the nature and character of God is largely due to the fact that the Bible clearly reveals to us who he is. When I hear people make the claim that they understand who God is, and the reason for such a claim is premised on their experiences. 
That's true. It's possible to know God on the premise of your experience. Because the Bible even tells us in the book of Romans that a little thing about God can be known just looking at nature. And it is possible that someone can have an understanding of the person, the character, and the goodness of God due to his experience or through his experience. But I believe so strongly that God took time in the person of his spirit to outline, to reveal to us the content of his person, of his character, and his nature through the Bible. That's why my opinion, the honest study of theology enlarges one's understanding of the nature and character of God because it's actually a study of the Bible and the doctrines of Scripture. And it goes beyond the fringes of one's personal spiritual experiences. I dare say there are many things about God that I may not necessarily say I know by reason of experience, but I definitely will tell you I know some things about God, or a whole lot more things about God, by reason of the study of Scripture. The study of biblical theology has expanded my view, my understanding of God. It's something I always encourage Christians to get involved with, irrespective of your denomination. Please study biblical theology. It's very important. It may sound or feel academic, but its content is strictly the doctrines of the Bible and is outlined in such a manner that it will enrich one's understanding of the person, the nature and the character of God. In the brief time I have, I want to share with us some qualities peculiar to God. I like to say that his name, his goodness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice. These are things that when you think about God, these qualities are not far behind. In fact, they are what defines God in so many ways. Exodus chapter 33 from verse 18 to chapter 34 and verse 9. Then Moses says, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and leave. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you can stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cliff in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, then come up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Now God was introducing himself to Moses. Moses said, God, show me your glory. 
God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. One would assume God would reply, I would cause all my glory to pass in front of you. In other words, God could express his glory, radiance and his majesty and summed it up as goodness. One of the most constant articles of praise and liturgy of Old Testament people was this phrase, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. God showed Moses that this is who I am. It's important for you to understand that God is always interested in revealing himself, his nature, his character, and he compacts this revelation to Moses in the words he declares, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. You find a trend. God always starts with the Lord. In other words, I am. We just read that in the book of Jeremiah 9.23. Let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. God is interested in us understanding and knowing him. Other qualities of God are his foreknowledge, his omniscience. You know what? God knows all things and is all-powerful, his omnipotence. But I'd like to look at one particular qualities of God I call his sovereignty. Let's say Job chapter 38 to 41. God once again reveals himself to a particular man called Job. I'm very careful to listen to when God tells a man something about himself. I mean sometimes a lot of us want to say something about God or want to claim we know something about God. So it behoves on us a lot more to listen when God says, okay, this is who I am. Job was a righteous man according to God's own testimony and got into a lot of trials. The old stories in the book of Job, I like you to go spend time, read it, understand it, enjoy the storyline, enjoy the conversations Job had with his friends. At the point, Job turned to God to prove his innocence. And now that the things that are happening to him were not fair on him. And God responded. Job chapter 38. I read from verse 1 to 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of a storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsels with words without knowledge? Praise yourself like a man. I will show you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off his dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? Or on what were his footings said? Or who laid his cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. The discourse is so long. I really wish I could have the time to share. But God took time to ask Job questions that no human being could reply. Series of questions. It took an entire three chapters on that. Now, for God to begin to ask you questions like that, then you know there's something you have to take note of. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. He said, Listen now and I will speak. I will answer you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The sovereignty of God is expressed in the questions God asked Job. 
and God wanted to establish in the mind of the person that was his that I'm in charge here. Everything that happens, everything that you see, everything in creation was at my say-so. And Job had to repent because the things he heard, questions God asked, he could not answer. They were rhetorical questions. And doubtless you see, sometimes some of us look through the book of Job, we look at some rhetorical questions and we spin it around to make it look like it was a command. I remember when I was still young, one of the scriptures that I loved in the book of Job would say, who knows the foundations of heaven, who can set his room upon the earth? And we used to tell ourselves that you need to know the foundations of heaven in order to set his rule upon the earth. But that was not what the scripture was saying. In fact, that was a rebuke. In other words, no one knows the foundations of heaven and no one can set his mysteries upon the earth. That was not telling you to do it. That was God saying, who knows to do it? And Job was smart to know that that was not an invitation to go seek out things that are beyond the scope of one's understanding or one's knowledge. He said, who knows the ordinances of heaven? And who can set his will upon the earth? And so many questions came back to back. So those questions are rhetorical questions. They are questions, if they have to be answered, will be answered in the negative because they are questions that are beyond the capacity of man's comprehension and definitely man's ability. And so God establishes his sovereignty in discussing with Job. And Job understood what God was saying and he repented. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 11. It's just one verse. That one verse unpacks the extent of the sovereignty of God. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That is in the NIV version. In other words, like the KJV would say, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. In other words, God didn't take counsel from anyone. God doesn't need your opinion. God doesn't need your good-natured suggestion. God does all things by himself. That, for me, unpacks the extent of God's sovereignty. When we pray, we understand the mightiness, the awesomeness, the greatness of God. God declares this to Jeremiah. If you have to brag, brag that you know me, you understand me, I am God. I am great, I am awesome, I'm faithful, I'm kind. I walk righteously, I do justice. God had to tell Job in three whole chapters, asking rhetorical questions. And Job said, I have misspoken. My tongue is cleaved to the roof of my mouth. I'm sorry I said things that are so wonderful for me to comprehend. In other words, it is important to know that God establishes his awesome dominion in the heart of man. That is the God to whom we pray. I like to say also that having understood God in this life, we need to know who man is in the face of his divine realities. I dare say that understanding who God is will help us understand who we are. When we come to prayer, in the chain of communication, there's God and there's man. Now, in that communion, there's a place of man. There's who we are. 
The nature of man is, however, undependable, unlike God, and is summed up in the psalmist words in Psalms chapter 78, verse 39. The psalmist says, He remembered that they were but flesh, that is, God remembered that man were but flesh. A passing breeze that does not return. If we understand who God is, automatically it opens our eyes to understand who we are. Somebody wrote a poem in an attempt to show the relationship between God and man in prayer. He said, prayer is not serving God as subpoena. Prayer is not time to gist with the good old body upstairs. Nor is it time for God to see reasons with us. No. Rather, prayer is a time for exchange. A foolishness for his wisdom. A weakness for his strength. The frustrations of our work for the comfort of his grace. The exhaustion of our carnal tendencies for the freshness of his will. In prayer, we are the bad guys. He is the good God. In prayer, we are but flesh. He is the Almighty God. Indeed, the very foundation of effective heartfelt prayers is premised on the understanding of the sovereignty of God and the incapacities of me. Wow. As simple as those lines of poetry were, it got my attention. Sometimes, when we pray, some people seem to pray as though they are serving God a subpoena, show up in court. <laughs> Prayer is not giving God instructions. And sometimes, some people get so caught up in their understanding of God that they consider prayer to be a time to gist with the good old body upstairs. People say something like, it's time to talk to the old man upstairs. As though God is an old man. I mean, excuse me, the Bible says as an ancient of days, God is definitely no man. God is God. He precedes time. He is in the future as much as he is in the past, as much as he is in the present. God doesn't exist in the realm, in the frame of time. And so when we call God the good old man upstairs, there's something wrong. Somebody somewhere doesn't understand the person, the nature, and the character of God, or the one to whom they pray, and definitely doesn't understand who he is. People that walked with God, people that God gave divine commendation, scripture speaks greatly about. I've discussed one of them, which is Job. And I wanted to see two other people. They had distinct interaction with God. And this was the opinion they gave of themselves in the midst of that interaction. I'd like to start with the story of Abraham. Abraham in Genesis in chapter 18 from verse 16 to 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I add from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. They went on their way and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away? and not spread the place for the sake of fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. 
to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all earth do right? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. I wanted to note what Abraham verse 27 said. Abraham spoke again, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only forty were found there? He said, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry. But let me speak. What if about thirty can be found there? He said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if it were only twenty can be found there? He said, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Wow! Growing up, we took this particular conversation Abraham had with God as textbook conversation of intercession. And indeed, it was intercession. Indeed, God was about to put Sodom and Gomorrah down, justice for all the evil they've done. And Abraham had the first-hand knowledge and interceded for them. I've noticed that for every time Abraham went ahead to intercede, there was a disposition Abraham had in the way he requested from God. Verse 27 is very noteworthy. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, this was a man that God had decided that through his lineage the Messiah would come. And this was a man that understood that in spite of the privileges, the closeness of his work with Almighty God, he understood his place. He understood who he was. And they say that right after the series on prayer, I'd like to talk a little bit about confession as it's taught in the 21st century. It makes me want to cringe a little bit. Abraham, before God, understood who he was. Did not have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Wow. And the truth about it, that he was actually nothing but dust and ashes. He wasn't trying to degrade himself. He was giving an honest opinion of himself. When Christians say things like that, they say, no, don't pull yourself down. Don't degrade yourself. Abraham knew he was covenant. He, he wasn't arguing that. When he stood before God, he wouldn't say, Oh, I'm your choosing. Mm -mm, I am dust but ashes. But the privilege he even had to say proved that he was chosen. The privilege that we won't have to talk to God proves that God has blessed us, that God, according to his foreknowledge, has predestined us. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 1 to 5. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people.
people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I like to say it again and say it unambiguously. Any man who had a good testimony before God in scriptures had one thing in common. They recognized their mortal nature with all the carnal tendencies it had forged. And when they approached God in prayer, they approached God with the vivid understanding of the difference between them and God. The object of prayer is God. If we understand who God is, we will understand who we are. In prayer, God is almighty. You are nobody. It will affect the way you come to God in prayer. It will affect the things you say in prayer. And more importantly, it will affect your answer to prayer. It's nice spending this time with you. I hope the things that we've shared has blessed and impacted you. The next podcast, I'll be dealing with fallouts from the first two podcasts and talking about setting contemporary issues on the topic of prayer. I'd like you to tune in at Tama with Akanka on podbean.com, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com or on iTunes and download all the podcasts, particularly the first edition of prayer and also subsequent ones. I'm sure you'll be blessed. You can always reach me at info at nikaolife.org. Info at n-i-k-a-o-l-i-f-e dot o-r-g. Thank you. God bless you.